As I've been studying and preparing for this, I keep going back to the prayer. Oh Lord, what was I thinking? There have been several interpretations of Revelation, and many of them I don't disagree with, but all of them left me with questions. And I'm sure they've left many everyday Christians with questions, because it is a mysterious book. And it's my goal, my hope, that we kind of sort through this and try and answer some of these questions. There's a vocabulary you will need to learn, and we will be looking at new glossary as we move along. I'm not going to dump all of it out at one time. There are two terms I would like to discuss briefly before we get to the text. I remember not too long ago listening to a message by Alastair Begg. He had some introductory statements before he read his text. And he said, please forgive me while I kind of waggle my club around before I take a swing at the golf ball. And I feel like I'm doing a little bit of that this morning. But once we get into the text, I'm not going to use a driver. I'm going to work on the putt. Take it a little bit at a time so we can get it accurate and precise. I hope. Pray for me. Pray with me. Two terms I would like to introduce you to, and some of you may be familiar with them, but if you're not, I would like to explain them because they're kind of important. The first is eschatology. Anytime you've ever listened to anyone preach or teach about Revelation, they talked about it being an eschatological book. It means eschatology, it's a theological term that means the study of last things. Certainly, last things are prominent in the book of Revelation, but Revelation does not focus only on last things. And I think that's been kind of contributing to the confusion for a lot of Christians. They think that everything in Revelation is going to start sometime near the future and then move forward into the future. And they wonder, when and how will it all begin? Will it begin with the rapture of the church? That's questionable. Jesus will come again. That is not debatable. So I am not denying that. Just how and when he will come is what we need to determine. But many people look at this, well, the predominant teaching for the last 200 years, and even the last 30 years, has been the term dispensational, is the view that the Lord's going to come and bring the church out, all of those who are saved, in the rapture. Meet him in the clouds in the air. He's not coming to the earth. He's just calling his people up. And then that's when, supposedly, the tribulation begins. And you may have seen so many other preachers they put up big banners illustrating the things in Revelation. They suggest that we're going to see four horsemen riding in the clouds. We're going to see a seven-headed dragon. We're going to see a harlot riding a great beast. 
And then we'll see the appearance of the Antichrist somewhere in there. This view has problems. So don't let it confuse you. The influence of this teaching was indeed confused many, and I believe it's weakened the church. If we're waiting for the Lord to come back any minute, and I do not deny that, he could come back any minute. If we're waiting for the Lord to come back any minute, and we're so certain of it, we just kind of sit back and wait. I'm not pointing any fingers. it's, It's clear all through the Christian church. If you've ever worked on the clock for someone else, you may remember when the end of your shift was approaching, you've gotten several things done during the day, and there's not quite enough time to start a new project or a new assignment, so you just kind of clean up your desk or your workstation, and then you kind of mosey over to the clock for the last five or ten minutes and wait to punch the clock and get in your full eight hours, right? You've done that before. Sometimes I think that's the way Christians are now. Jesus will come back any any day now. Let's not start anything new. Let's just wait for him to get here. Let's kind of coast into the eternal kingdom. I saw a meme on Facebook the other day. Someone said, I thought about getting up and getting something done, but then I thought I'd wait until tomorrow in case the world comes to an end. That seems to be the predominant attitude in Christianity today. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus was teaching He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. See, even 2,000 years ago, they were expecting the Messiah to appear and establish the kingdom. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. There are other places the Lord himself taught about waiting and anticipating the coming of the king. In this one he says, we are to occupy, we are to do our best, we are to do our business until he comes and we are to be faithful in doing it. Eschatology is about last things, but not all in Revelation is about last things. And as we get into the book, I hope you will see that, what I mean, and how it is revealed, which is quite interesting. We'll talk about revealing in just a moment, but let me remind you that in the book of Revelation, the Lord is described, the Lord describes himself 
as the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, you and I know that he's talking about his eternality. He always has been, he will be, and he always, I mean, he always, he is, and he always will be. But I think he is also suggesting that I have been sovereign over the past, I am sovereign over the present, and I am sovereign over the future. And Revelation, I think, is about the past, the present, and the future. And we will see that when we get in there. So just kind of mark that down, remember it, and all shall be revealed. So eschatology is not about last things. Although it is a strong focus on it, it is not all about last things. The second term, by way of introduction, is apocalypse. And some of you may have heard this before. But if you've heard it from the culture outside of the church, it's been misdefined. I don't know which Bible you have. It might say, as you look in your English Bible, the revelation to John or the revelation of John or the revelation of Jesus Christ. But if you were opened up your Greek New Testament, the word apocalypsis in the Greek is going to be there. The word apocalypse literally means exposing, revealing fully, laying bare, cutting something open so everybody can see everything. Nothing is hidden. So that's really what Revelation does. And it's not just showing us the future, it is showing us all about the spiritual warfare that has been going on in the past and is going on now and will continue until the Lord comes. And I know if you watch a lot of television and you're into that sort of thing, you've heard a lot of people talk about the coming apocalypse. It is not about what modern culture defines or understands as post-apocalyptic fantasy or fiction. It's not about surviving the nuclear holocaust. It's not about doomsday preppers living off a grid. It has nothing to do about zombies. What is being revealed? If it's revealing anything, what is, it being, what is being revealed? God's glory, God's authority, God's power and God's justice and judgment. God alone has a complete right and authority to exercise all that he desires and all that he has promised. He owes none of us anything. He didn't even owe you your redemption. It was a gift out of his love and mercy and grace. And you may, as a believing Christian, you may understand that. But then again, have you ever wondered, looking at everything that's going on in this world, and everything that has gone on in this world, Lord, what is going on? Everyone's going crazy. It is insane. You may have even asked in your prayers, God, are you even paying attention? Yes, yes, he is. 
He is in control. And if you look at the first verses of your text, this is what a lot of people miss because most outlines of the book of Revelation show this as an introduction or, or something like that. And usually when you read the introduction, oh, that's not important. Let's just zoom right out to that and get down to where it says something about blessings. I need a blessing. We'll talk about that in a moment. First two verses of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which God the Father gave him the Son to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He, the Father, made it known by sending his angel, the Son, to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So we're seeing here in the Godhead, within these verses, God the Father, God the Son, and in the next verse we'll even see God the Spirit. I'll explain that in a moment. But too often, too many take, a book, take the book of Revelation as prophecy of the future. Let me remind you, I do not deny that Jesus will come again. I affirm that strongly. I believe it strongly. But when he comes he is not coming to rescue us from trial or tribulation. He is coming to reveal his glory. He is coming to reveal his authority. He is coming to reveal his power. And he is coming for justice and judgment. And that should make all of us tremble. We can go through scripture and find everywhere it, it talks about his glory. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice has not heard. People deny this. God is revealed in his creation. His glory is there. It is evident. But people, nah, that all just evolved by chance. He is coming in authority, and he has already been given authority. He is, Christ himself declared it on the Mount of Olives. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So his authority is established, and it is eternal, and it is irrevocable. We cannot deny it. He is also coming in power. Isaiah 46, 8. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O oh, you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet to come, are, are not yet come, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have proposed it. I will also do it. 
So he's coming in glory. He's coming in authority. He is coming in power. And you need to know if you haven't seen it already or haven't understood it already, he's already been doing that. He has already been doing that. God's justice and judgment have been at God's fingertips ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in Eden. You don't think that the suffering and the violence and the wars and the turmoil that have been man's history, his legacy, are any part of God's judgment? That's what he meant, just one brief statement. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. We have been sowing violence and hatred and rebellion, and we've been reaping violence and hatred and rebellion. This world is getting what it deserves. It has always been spiritual warfare. Do you remember in 2 Kings 6, Syria was at war with Israel and God would tell the prophet Elijah, Elisha to tell the king of Israel to be ready for Syria over here and he would tell him to be ready for Syria over there. And every time Syria wanted to attack, the armies of Israel were ready for them. In 2 Kings 6, verse 11, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Somebody was telling them top secret information about his battle plan. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. The king of Assyria said, Go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent three horses and chariots. He sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And the servant man of, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I know you've read that. I know you've probably heard some messages about that. Did you ever connect it to him? Revelation? Spiritual warfare going on then. Spiritual welfare being revealed in the visions in Revelation. It's been going on pretty much ever since time began. We are not perceptive enough to see it, to realize that it is there, even now. So, eschatology, talking about the last things, revealing the last things, but more than the last things. And this revelation, this apocalypse, is really just letting us know everything that's going on, everything that will go on, 
before I read the text, let me know. Let me let you know that we're going to look at the promise of blessing. Everyone loves that part, and understanding soon. Revelation one. We'll read verses one through eight. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to, the, to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep, it, keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, that's my introduction. I need to pray briefly. Lord, we ask that you might help us to see what is before us this morning. There is much here, much more than we have time for. Help us to pay attention and be alert to this, and may these foundation stones which are being laid give us some understanding. We ask for your blessing. We ask to understand it when we have it in our hands. Amen. What does this book offer us? In order to see what it offers, we need to sift through, sift through the few things. Too many read this book and miss the important points. First, the promise of blessing. Blessed is the one who reads about the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. I've been in Bible studies and I've heard people in congregations and I, after sermons, oh, this is so, I've even heard preachers say, you read this book, you read it aloud, you're going to get a blessing. Well, everyone's excited about the blessing. I need another blessing. The blessing is not the important thing. Well, The blessing most people assume is coming is not the important thing. Too often we take for granted all that God has done for us already and to look for something new. There's an old story. It's just a story about a king and his court of ungrateful subjects, dukes and earls and duchesses and marquises and Wealthy people, regularly invited to this king for a dinner, for a banquet. None of them grateful for what was before them, what king provided. But they always ate their fill and they enjoyed the time. The king one time arranged to permit a smelly 
poor beggar to his table. He just came in like he owned the place and sat down and started eating. And the people there were shocked. When he had eaten his fill, he got up and walked out and everyone started calling to the king, give me permission and I'll have this man thrashed. But the king rebuked them all. You are no better than this man. You come in and eat my food, drink from my cup, and never say thank you. If we look at the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus and we get so weary of them, we get so tired of them, they become mundane, they become routine. His grace, his salvation is not enough. Lord, give me another blessing. When do I get to have my best life? Now. We have been blessed by God in tremendous ways. Have you grown weary of it? Are his blessings meaningless to you? I don't know anyone here who goes hungry. I don't know anyone here who is cold at night. How much has he provided for you? How has he blessed you and your family? And yet you still struggle with discouragement. Some of you might be struggling with depression. Some of you might be filled with doubt and fear and looking for another blessing that will help you along. You, as I said earlier, he owes you nothing. Not even the grace you've already received. We need to see from this text three things. We are blessed to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be under God's sovereign authority. And we are blessed to see or understand how God exercises authority over believers and unbelievers. We are blessed to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be under God's sovereign authority. And a lot of Christians struggle with that. We don't like being under anyone's authority. Not even the government. And we are blessed to see and understand how God exercises his authority over believers and unbelievers. And once we get into Revelation, we'll be seeing more and more of that. How God exercises his authority over believers and unbelievers. Because he has the power, he has the ability, and he has the will to do so. Now that's a basic understanding of the promise of the blessing. And we'll be into that further as we get into Revelation, but I want to talk a little bit about understanding soon. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. A lot of people read this in Revelation and get excited about it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of, the, of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It kind of reaffirms it. What things will soon take place? When will the events begin? What is the starting gun for the book of Revelation? Many would say, as we mentioned before, it's a rapture. It's coming soon, any time now. Or the second coming is coming soon, any time now. But we need to be very careful. 
because this anticipation of the coming of the Lord has become an embarrassment, and I would even say a shame for the New Testament church. In New Testament times, since the time of Christ, nearly 2,000 years, there have been over 57 times the second coming of the Lord has been predicted. The first time was in 500 A.D. And the most recent time in our past, he was supposed to show up in 2021. And there have been four more dates proposed for our future, 2024, 2025, 2029 and 2057. Mark that on your calendars, folks. If he doesn't show up to 2057, I'll be 102 years old. Lord willing. Herbert W. Armstrong predicted him coming four times between 1935 and 1975. He proposed four dates. Harold Camping has talked about him coming, set dates. Jack Van Impey has predicted him coming any minute now. But we need to remember what the Lord himself said in Matthew 24. Concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This is top secret information in the courts of heaven. And when you hear someone claiming to be a prophet of God or claiming to be a preacher, and they propose a date when they expect the Lord to appear, mark them down as false and run the other way. I can show you proof text in Deuteronomy 20, 18, 20. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of the other gods, that same prophet shall die. Most of us are familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That teaches us we come by the, to Christ by his grace and mercy alone. We don't come by our works. Because the Lord does not want a bunch of people in heaven bragging on how they got there. Lest any man should boast. You apply that to the false prophet who predicts the second coming of the Lord. Do you think the Lord wants anyone up in heaven saying, Daha, I told you when he was going to show up. Nope. But preacher, the book says soon. What things will soon take place? If there are things that soon must soon take place, and if the time is near, it is to reveal God's glory, his authority, his power, his justice, and judgment, past, present, and future. Do you not think that God's glory and God's authority and God's power has already revealed, been revealed in the growth of the church since his ascension? You think of what this world would be like had the church not been here. The church is responsible for a lot of hospitals, a lot of education, a lot of compassion, a lot of mercy. The church has made a marvelous impact upon this world. 
And God's glory, his authority, his power has been revealed in every bit of it. Every time a lost person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the church, God's glory, his power, and authority is revealed in that action. The Bible says that even angels sing rejoicing hymns over the lost who come to Christ. But we forget about that. We don't see it. His glory, authority, and power, and justice, and judgment are revealed in the past, the present, and the future. He is the one who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And that is mentioned more than six times in Revelation. It's mentioned four times in Isaiah. Okay, that's good, preacher. I appreciate that, but just, just give me something to do. In this study of Revelation, I'm going to be focusing more, and I think this is important in everything you do for Christ. Don't lean on a to-do list. Lean on being in Christ Jesus. A lot of people just give me something to do, but nothing in their life really changes. They might can attack, uh, accomplish that list, be in church every Sunday, Read your Bible and pray regularly. Don't use any swear words. I mean, they can use this list. But in their own quiet time, in their own time at home, or in their private time when no one else is looking, nothing's changed. Be, not necessarily do. Now, we are blessed to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 5, the Bible says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Again in 520, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Has he given us understanding? I think he has. We just need to pray to receive and understand it. We need to study to understand it. So that we may know him who is true, and that we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and the eternal life. This promise of blessing is meant to reassure us when it looks like the world is going crazy. God gives us an understanding to know why, to know what is happening. It is meant to be. Revelation also gives us insight into God's action in response to man's rebellion throughout history. Revelation also gives us insight into God's action in response to man's rebellion throughout history. So we are blessed to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be under God's sovereign authority. And it is the triune God. We are under his authority. Verse 4 of Revelation 1 says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us the kingdom of priests to his God and Father. 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In the first two verses, we saw that God the Father was present in this giving of this message. He gave it to his son, his messenger, or his angel, and the son gave it to John. But here we see in verse 4, we see the presence of the Holy Spirit presence of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That's a mysterious wording to talk about the Holy Spirit, but you can see his presence elsewhere in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning of verse 2, says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the Spirit Upon him, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. When we get to Revelation 4, we will see a description of the Lamb of God who has seven eyes, the Holy Spirit. Sounds a little weird to our ear and our understanding, but that's what it's talking about. So the triune God, in authority over each and every one of us, in sovereign authority over each and every one of us, is giving us this message, this book. And it behooves you, as a Christian, to study it well. Don't sift through it and find the little nits and and notes about blessing. And then, well, everybody else is going to be judged and punished. And we'll be safe. We are blessed to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be under the God's sovereign authority. And we are blessed to understand how God exercises authority over believers and unbelievers. I'm going to save the rest of next week. I wish I had a wonderful story to tell you to help kind of tie all this together, but it's hard finding kind of, kind of illustrations to tie this together anyway. I'm kind of excited and a little bit intimidated and a little bit trembling about this study. But I think it's going to help you. If you have any questions, do not be afraid to ask. If I've said anything that's confused you, do not be afraid to ask. There are no dumb questions. There might be some stupid answers, and I hope I wouldn't give you any. But I want you to understand, and I want you to be blessed by what you hear from this word. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, we ask this morning that you may speak to our hearts and help us see clearly what you would have us see in this study these next few months. Speak to us as your children, as we hunger to know and understand clearly, and we anticipate the coming and the glorious appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.